0: Hey, guys, this is Kat. Hi, and I'm Agata.
1: So we didn't have an episode last week. Let us explain ourselves. So last week, we had prepared an episode for you guys about the grain exports and the situation in Ukraine. But it's a very developing story. Uh, There's new breakings every day. And so we wanted to kind of wait and see how things would go. that we could give you a proper update and a reflection this week because as we were recording the podcast the updates were developing and we wanted to stay kind of relevant
0: yeah and make sure that we're having all of the important conversations with the right people yeah exactly so we're really excited for this
1: episode because we're gonna have two interviews so when we were recording last week some of the ships carrying ukrainian grain had just been leaving the port And now I think as of today, that number has gone up to, I believe it's 10. Mm -hmm. Definitely over six ships have already left Ukrainian ports carrying grain. So as far as I know, the updates from today are um, actually this morning, the largest ship has left the port since the war began. It's called the Ocean Lion and it's carrying corn going to South Korea. And there was another ship that left this morning to Istanbul. And there's, you know, it's kind of, we're getting in the swing of things and things are exporting, which is incredible. And we're starting to get a few more details of the deal between Ukraine, the UN, and Turkey, and Russia, the UN, and Turkey. And it seems as though the countries have agreed to provide a 10 nautical mile buffer zone. So what's happening is, that is agreed upon there's a 10 mile nautical mile buffer zone the ships are leaving and they're protected um while they're on their journey and it seems to be going i mean i really knock on wood as we're saying this but it seems to be going well we've had a lot of exports coming out and you know it, people are i think that last week um last week when we initially recorded this episode i believe the one of the officials from Nikolaev said that they were trying they were preparing to open the Mikolaev court as well. I don't know. I, I haven't heard any news from that. So I assume there's no progress. But Cheronomorsk
0: and Odessa are are going strong. Okay. That's uh good to hear. Maybe let's also circle back and talk a little bit what the situation was like before. Um, you know, like the updates on this week. So what were we seeing? why was this deal signed and what were the biggest kind of problems that we were facing in terms of our grain exports? Right, so there's been a blockade that's
1: been in place for months, as we know. So basically since the beginning of the war, ships haven't been able to leave Ukrainian ports because of constant shelling, because of the threat of attack, because of mines in the water, because of a slew of reasons, but most importantly, because you know, the, the Russian threat on the Black Sea. And so since the beginning of the war, we haven't been able to export any of our grain, which was a massive problem because Ukraine's one of the world's largest grain producers. And this is particularly bad for countries that are extremely dependent on Ukrainian grain, um, especially Middle Eastern countries, especially African countries, countries that um, are dependent on us to get their food. And these are important products, grain,
0: corn, sunflowers, um, and it's really interesting because speaking of that, I know that last week when we talked about this, we talked a lot about, um, well, the, as you said, those countries, but actually even today I was in the supermarket in France and there was a sign which said that there's going to be changes to some of the imports because, um, well, of the Ukraine war, the war well between Russia and Ukraine, uh, and that they're not able to export certain goods, which I thought was really crazy because I'm, you know, in Paris in just a very normal supermarket and we're still seeing the effects of it even in even in europe
1: yeah i mean we've been seeing effects of it all over the world and uh, effects of all kinds of industries in the war all over the world of course with oil and gas as well but um i think that this deal was or sorry i think that the grain blockade was of particular concern um in those regions because of the possibility of creating a hunger crisis and a global food crisis. And of course, um, this is something that we talked about last week as well of being in Russia's playbook with the Holodomor. And later on in my interview, um, we'll mention this, but it's quite interesting because Alexandra said, you know, it's almost like clockwork because the Holodomor started, mm-hmm. you know, in the late 20s, mm-hmm. early 30s. And we're kind of getting into that stage. Yeah. So it's almost a hundred years later, which is
0: That's crazy. crazy. So I think maybe let's talk about first of all um just a general situation about what's going mm-hmm. on. I think there's been a lot of um I think we're ha- we're seeing a lot of misinformation in the media and well, mm-hmm. we can talk about what this means on different dimensions but maybe first uh I think it's important to note that what I'm seeing a big emphasis on is obviously that the fact that Ukraine is not exporting grain is affecting other countries but we tend to lose focus what this really means for us and what this means for our farmers, what this means for our industries, because the biggest problem that the blockade had created was um, a problem with logistics. And I think that, uh, first of all, we're seeing the fact that, you know, I mean, in the case of, let's take Mikolaev, right? We're not really sure what's happening with the forest there. So a farmer who has been able to harvest his crop he now has extra costs in order to you know ship this grain abroad and before again the news about the the deal a lot of this was taking a very complicated route to get out of ukraine right mm-hmm. yes they were going through
1: they were attempting to go through the danube river um and you know on the note of logistics that's it was absolutely causing these logistical issues within Ukraine as well, because in yeah. particular storage facilities, yeah. um, when grain isn't moving out, it needs to stay in. And when you're trying to store all this grain, but then you're also trying to harvest new grain, grain is going bad and we're exactly. losing a lot of produce because it's sitting there and it's going bad. The value bad. is de-
0: decreasing, and even if we're able to feed the you know the internal market, this is what we rely on. You know, a big yeah. part of our economy does. And so, if the grain, as you said, is sitting somewhere and we don't, we're not able to export and sell uh, last year's crop, then we're losing a huge chunk of our revenue because next year it's not going to have the same value, even if we export it. But you know, we're right. not probably. So it's like the question is: is there should there even be incentive for me to On my land and, you know, uh, kind of harvest the second year if I'm just going to lose my revenue in the end. So that was that was one thing that farmers in
1: these occupied regions, I think we saw some reports, some anecdotes from Hira about farmers having to turn to sell their grain and these kinds of things to the Russians because they have nowhere else to sell it to. And then the other interesting piece of news that came out last week was um, about grain theft. So, Mm -hmm. we saw that piece of news um, that the SBU uh, identified collaborators that were working on large scale grain theft. And they had a few names down. And essentially, it's saying here that according to the SBU, um, Russia stole more than 650,000 tons of grain, worth 200 million in total, from Russian occupied parts of Kherson and Zaporizhia. And they used 15 ships to transport the grain including vessels registered in Syria. So, yeah. So we saw that news come out last week that Alexander also actually talked a little bit about in his interview later. So we'll hear about that. Um, But we saw, you know, farmers having to turn to sell to the Russians, the Russians straight up stealing the grain outwardly, us being blockaded in and not being able to get it out and our crops going bad. I mean, it's just...
0: What was happening to the grain that was being exported? So uh, what route was it taking? Because I know that you did some research on this. So can you tell me a little bit about just like the logistical nightmare that we were seeing in Europe? Right. So before
1: they opened up the Black Sea, the grain was, we were attempting to export grain to the Danube River, um, which has ports that open up near also, you know, um, near Odessa a little bit and then through Romania. And the issue with that is several, there are several issues with that. Um, The first issue being that technically you can get some vessels through the Danube, but they would be going upwards to Europe Mm -hmm. and through Germany, which is in the opposite direction of where our grain needs to go. And so eventually that hikes prices as well, because you you have to pay however much, triple the price to reroute your grain all the way through Europe, and then all the way back down to the Middle East, Africa. And these farmers that are harvesting grain, I mean, they can't afford to do that. The people, uh, the governments in the Middle East and Africa can't afford to pay three times the price. It doesn't solve the food crisis because you're still hiking crazy prices. And so that doesn't really solve that issue. And then the second issue is just even if we could do that, not all of the grain could even logistically get through the Danube because... First of all, it's not large enough to accommodate a lot of these agricultural vessels because in certain parts of the Danube, it gets quite um, shallow. And so you can't have these big ships coming through anyways. And then that limits the amount of ports that it can reach. And then the ports that are available, that ships can get to, are really not used to handling you yeah. know, hundreds of thousands of tons of cargo. And so we were seeing bottlenecks throughout the river difficulties with logistics and it just you know we were getting a fraction of the effectiveness that we would yeah. that we would yeah. be getting
0: now with the black sea so what's the situation now so we have exported grain um i'm seeing that it i mean it's it's been pretty successful right uh, although i did read the news today that uh lebanon said they're not going to accept our grain so What's what's the situation there? Okay. Can you tell me about that about so, that as well? From I what like, I, is- I feel like, sorry, I feel like we're do- I'm doing an interview with you. <laughs> no, it.
1: um, it's no. because I've I've been doing for for those listening, I've been doing research on grain exports at um, the American Enterprise Institute, and so I know a little bit about this for my research. But from what I, I was looking at into the Lebanon story this morning. From what I understood, and again, this is a developing story because it broke this morning. So, by the time we release this episode, we might have more information. But, from what I understood from the story, it was that it wasn't okay. First, you have to understand Mm -hmm. that with these grain exports, we talk about it in terms of, oh, Ukraine is exporting grain and it's going to Lebanon. But in reality, these are not governments that are trading with each other, it's private businesses. So, even though you know in 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 the media we have these blanket statements of oh ukraine just shipped grain it's not actually ukraine it's a commercial vessel that purchased the grain that is now shipping it and so that the reason that i clarify that is because in this dispute it's not like the state of ukraine and the state of lebanon did not agree on a trade that's not what happened this was a private commercial transaction and what happened was um a buyer a, pr- a commercial buyer in that happened to be in Lebanon bought this grain uh over 5 months ago that mm-hmm. ship was actually supposed to ship on the 24th of February No way really? Yeah. So they literally bought that grain basically the day the war started. That's so unlucky. Yeah, or the it was supposed to leave the port. Something about on the 24th of February they completed some kind of deal mm-hmm. and Now the ship shows up at their door over five months later and says, here's your grain. And essentially they said, well, we don't, we're not, we're not taking it because we paid for it five months ago. We were accepting it and now there's delays. And so there was a dispute over that. They said they wouldn't be accepting it because of the delays. And I don't know how the story is going to develop. I don't know if there's new details coming out, but that's kind of as far as I understood So, again, it's not as though the governments are in any kind of dispute. It's just the transaction, which makes sense, I guess. If you bought this grain and they give it to you five months ago, you probably don't have much use for it anymore. Um, And yeah, but I don't think that. So basically, the the ship said that they were looking for other buyers. And hopefully, I mean, I I don't think there's going to be a lack of demand. I'm sure someone will by their grain. And, and uh, yeah. I hope so. But
0: so essentially that that's what happened this morning. Um, I guess the other thing is, which is crazy to think about, uh, that there's so many parallels between what's happening today, uh, and Russia's tools of, I'm going to use a big word, starvation and what, uh, what happened to us, obviously and to Ukrainians, um, Uh, under the Soviet Union. I'm sure that a lot of us heard about Holodomor, which was basically a man-made famine um, uh, orchestrated to starve the Ukrainian nation, um, if we're being blunt, And, you know, they're doing it again. I I think
1: that that this is something that hits home for a lot of us, for a lot of Ukrainians. And this is coming as someone who, I mean, our generation, me and Nagata, we didn't go through the Holodomor ourselves, but even still, at least for me, when I started seeing the news a few months ago about this potential brain blockade or this grain blockade and this potential incoming global food crisis and just seeing the word famine and "brain" in this context, I think was really scary and kind of put a little bit of a pit in my stomach because it really is. It's really scary to think about and remember what happened to our ancestors and think about the fact that we could go through something like that again, yeah. because a lot of us grew up with stories of our grandparents and our great grandparents and what they had to do during the Holodomor.
0: Yeah, it's very scary. And just the, well, the scale of it, the extent of it, but also just the fact that you don't really it, you feel very powerless when you think yeah. about it. And you're like, this is one of the scariest things that can happen. Um, to, I don't know, any nation. And just the fact that it's done in such a, you know, uh, like we're just going to do this and that Russia doesn't have a lot of respect or any respect, you know, for um, human life. That's, that's very scary. Um, They're not only willing to do this to us, but they're also willing to do this to other countries. Yeah. Um, And that's very scary. And I think that we've been
1: seeing throughout the negotiation processes with the grain exports, how, you know, Russia had signed the agreement and then just a few days later bombed the port of Odessa. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's taken so long to get this agreement through in the first place. And it's just so incredibly frustrating that we have to negotiate our access to our own food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because how that's, Messed up. <laughs> it's, it's messed up and it just feels so degrading and so violating of our own autonomy that we have to be negotiating and we have to kind of beg another power to not let us and millions of people that depend on us starve. When we grew this food, it's our own food. And now yeah. it's, you know, we don't even it's have taken back. away
0: from so, us. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess me so frustrated. One of the things that is really frustrating is seeing um, Russia, loot our crop like that makes me really frustrated um just the fact that they're they don't care you know they're willing to go in and take anything from um you know your personal airpods and your uh, i don't know your playstation or whatever but even just such an elementary and basic thing as food from a farmer who you know barely has any income this is what sustains him and you know it's just basically take being taken away from him um, but it also, you know, what was, th- this makes me remember, um, there was a photo which was, uh, circling Instagram when Bucha happened and when, well, Bucha was liberated and they started, you yeah. know, putting up all the information. It was a graffiti on the wall. I, maybe you remember it, it said something, um, and this is like a rough translation into English, but who said that you deserve to have a good life?
2: Um, it no, was written by
0: a Russian soldier, uh, it was something like, um, something, it was something like yeah. that, like who says that you deserve a good life or that you want to like, you get, you deserve to live like, well. Yeah. And this really, like, this is just another kind of confirmation of that for me, which is really like scary. I'm sure that they're sitting at that negotiating table and they're thinking like, you know what, we're just going to take this away from them. We're going to starve them and then they're going to give us what we want. And that's really scary. And it makes me really frustrated.
1: I, I, I also do think that part of that, that graffiti encompasses so much of the mentality of Russians and the Russian nation, because I've been reading a lot of things about how, you know, these Russian soldiers, we've been getting reports of them stealing the laundry machines and the toilets and stuff like that. And because they go home and a lot of the regions that these soldiers come from are the most underdeveloped regions in Russia they don't even have washing machines that's why they're stealing them and it just captures the mentality of we don't have a good life who said that you can and we're going to make sure that you know we're going to drag everyone else down with us and that kind of i think captures a lot of centuries of russian history and russian attitudes where instead of Looking to Ukraine as an example of making their lives better. They just have resentment and want to make our lives worse alongside theirs, you know? So, next up, we'll have some of the interviews with the people that are working with this issue closely firsthand, and they're going to give us some insights. And of course, this is a developing story. So, hopefully, we'll continue seeing more ships coming out of Ukraine every day, and we'll avoid a kind of food crisis like we had 100 years ago, and we'll have better luck this time around. But let's take a look at what our experts have to say. I'll be speaking with Alexander Hara, who is a foreign policy and security expert, deputy chair of the Black Sea Institute of Strategic Studies, and a fellow at the Center for Defense Strategies so the first question you know we've been seeing on the news that this long-awaited grain deal finally went through and since the deal was signed i think we've now seen eight ships already leaving carrying ukrainian grain and so my first question is you know maybe i'm just being cynical but after seeing all of the news on russian tv about how they want to use hunger as a weapon and seeing how little regard russia has for human life and human rights i mean why did they agree to this deal in the first place? I mean, thinking strategically in terms of a strategic position, what can we infer about why they signed this deal in the first place? What's in it for them? I mean, why is this happening now after they've been blockading the ports for so long?
2: Katrina, you're absolutely right. Uh, describing Russia as the um, power, as a state, as a society, is it a disregard for human life? uh and certainly, sort of ra- the roots uh, um going back to the soviet legacy and first and foremost uh, all the more genocides that uh, the bolsheviks committed against uh, ukrainians up to 10 million ukrainians were starved to death say, in 1932-33 and that's why it's it's not just symbolic then in twenty two twenty three 23 almost the same uh figures we have uh, the russians are trying to play uh, and uh, mr putin who he, who Whose uh, um, play models are uh, uh, Stalin and uh, Peter the First, uh, he can over uh, overplay or or, or reach uh, their uh, the level of their brutality. Uh, so uh, in the beginning, uh, the um, let's say the whole idea was to cut Ukraine from the, the sea, and pra- Project Novorossiya failed in, back in 2014-15. So the Russians uh, decided to uh, apply great techniques like uh, imposing a uh, blockade on the Sea of Azov uh, since 2018, uh, and they were just uh, trying to starve uh, our economy to death in, 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 in that time, free from Russia, Mariupol, Berdyansk, and some other places. So now uh, they are waging war and cutting Ukraine from not just uh, exporting grain, which is one of the uh, key uh, elements of our, um, uh, let's say, goods that we export to the world, but uh, they just um, denied us ability to have, to have these sea lines of communication. And you know that uh, up to 70% of our trade, uh, I mean, in um, export and import, uh, was going through the port, Black Sea port. So uh, It's not just if, uh, the goal of Russian economic war against Ukraine, but uh, now it's the, the leverage against the other countries and uh, you know, fuel this um, uh, hangar and the the destabilization this, this making this, uh, some some regions, like in the Mena region and some other places, um, uh, they want to push these uh, crowds of people, hungry people, uh, going to Europe, and then you know, repeat 2015 and 16 situation. So I'm going. to, uh, I, I'm explaining it just because uh, the I believe that it's in high uh, Russian interest uh, to keep uh this pressure on others uh with the aim to undermine the sanction regime mm-hmm. and this is a goal of russia uh, and actually they 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 actually succeeded this several times uh, first and foremost uh, they succeeded in uh in receiving guarantees from the united states and the european union that uh, none of the entities and ships uh, engaged in the uh, export of russian uh, grain and fertilizers uh, to the world would be under sanctions. Mm-hmm. Even though from the beginning, uh, neither the United States nor European Union imposed any sanctions uh, to the grain and fertilizers export. But uh, Russians wanted to uh, erode the sanction fraud. And actually, they've done successfully other things, like uh, they made uh, Germany to push Canada to return this uh, the Siemens turbine uh, back to Germany uh, because they, they said that they needed to Restore the same amount of uh, gas they were pumping to the West uh, via their North Stream One project. Now they are saying uh, they are not happy with something with, with with sanctions, and that's why they are not uh, taking it from the Germans. But what happened? The Germans uh, violated uh, European uh, Union imposed uh, restrictions and made Canada to circumvent uh, these restrictions. Uh, then there are some other cases, and actually, what's interesting going on unfolding on now uh, before our eyes, uh, the Russians uh, 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 they, they suspended the procedure of of overseeing nuclear arms under the START uh, uh, treaty. So they want to push Americans uh, to uh, make uh, some exemptions uh, for the Russian planes because they are they are, they are arguing that they cannot. Uh, Monitor the arms, the strategic arms, because uh, the, the European Union closed, and not just European Union, but the United States closed their airspace for the Russian planes. And uh, the European Union and uh, the United States are not providing Russian uh, diplomats with uh, visas. So they're, 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 this erosion of sanctions—it's one of the key things—and uh, how they honor the agreements—you've uh, you, you, seen in the news. So less than twenty-four hours after they signed an agreement with. Turkey in the, uh, the United Nations, they hit uh, with missile uh, Odessa port and a particular place where grain was uh, loaded. So that's why uh, I believe uh, instability and uh, the promotion of the Russian propaganda narrative, and especially in the uh, developing world, and it was one of the reasons why Mr. Lavrov, the Minister for Foreign Affairs of Russia, uh, traveled to some uh, uh, African countries, so they are trying to promote the idea that it's Western sanctions that cause uh, the soaring prices on food and looming uh, hunger in the, in, in the developing world. And that's why these countries need to push the West uh, to, uh, to strip the sanctions. Uh, the uh, leader of the African Union, President of Senegal, visited Moscow. and He talked to uh, President Putin and then uh, Mr. Uh, Lavrov. Uh, and he went uh, back not to Kiev, talking to, to Ukrainian authorities how to uh, uh de-blockade the, the grain export, but he went to Paris and he talked to Mr. Macron, president of France, and he was uh, promoting the idea that uh, the West need to uh, ease sanctions on Russia. So that is a major thing, not really care that Putin or else, uh, uh, anyone from, from the Kremlin care about uh, Africans or Asians uh, that are going to die. Uh, more than 10 million uh, more uh, are, are going to die this year, even with uh, this grain uh, export that was uh, deblocated by, 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 by this agreement uh, between Ukraine, Turkey, and Uni- European, oh, so, sorry, uh, the United Nations, and the mirror agreement between Russia, Ur- uh, United Nations, and Turkey, because there is no agreement between Russia and Ukraine for obvious reasons. We are in a state of war.
1: Right. And so now that the grain ships are exiting the ports and hopefully reaching their destinations, does Russia lose that leverage of you know holding the blockade over um, the European Union and over all of these countries in order to lift sanctions? I mean, what are they going to threaten us with now? Do we is there something else that we need to be watching for next steps when it comes to Russia and relating to the grain crisis?
2: Well, first of all, uh, this uh, sea line of communication is a sort of a, a bottleneck. And mm-hmm. There is a possibility to just uh, to deny ability of Ukraine to export uh, by uh, different means, like uh, sabotage, like uh, mines uh, uh, that are, might be planted uh, uh, on the way. Uh, and certainly they can blame Ukraine because, you know, in 2014, when they illegally annexed Crimea, they, they, they captured a lot of, uh, Ukrainian military equipment and they, they might use even Ukrainian mines, uh, just to, to, to prove yeah. that it's Ukraine that is doing, uh, certainly they are not stopping bombing, uh, Ukrainian cities and the infrastructure. And that's why, um, we might see some strikes, uh, towards the Ukrainian, uh, grain terminals, uh, and possibly ships. Uh, And meanwhile, something that is missing in the picture, uh, Russia is stealing Ukrainian grain and is uh, selling it to Turkey and uh, to Syria. Uh, Secondly, which is uh, really important, uh, they are stealing our equipment and bringing it to Russia. And there there was a funny uh, story when they captured several uh, machineries and they brought it to uh, Chechnya -hmm. Uh, But uh, it was what was a John Deere uh, combines, uh, but because it's it's a sophisticated piece of equipment, uh, they 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 fail to just to start the engine of this uh, thing. But but they are they're still in uh, grains, they are still in equipment, and they're deliberately um, targeting uh, uh, agriculture, uh, agricultural infrastructure in Ukraine, in in not just just it. So there is a ability of Russia to make more harm to its infrastructure. Uh, to, let's say, disrupt uh, the process uh, that is slowly getting uh, pace,
1: Right. So um, I have a question about the first thing you said about using perhaps the mines in the Black Sea as a form of sabotage because I was thinking about that and wondering, you know, these commercial vessels that are um, transporting the grain, they're flying under international flags. They are commercial, privately owned. They're not Ukrainian vessels. So... If Russia were to attack or sabotage one of these ships, what would the international implications of that be? I mean, would that be an attack on, you know, a different country because these are not Ukrainian ships? I mean, would that be an escalation that would bring other countries into this war? Is that really in their interest to try and do that?
2: Well, uh, there is uh, almost nothing the world can do to Russia because uh, Russia is a nuclear power, because it's uh, the permanent member of the United Nations uh, Security Council and its war in Ukraine. It it has already targeted uh, foreign ships uh, in Ukrainian ports, like uh, in Mariupol and Berdansk Mm -hmm. before, uh, I mean, in the beginning of the war, and then in uh, the Black Sea port as well. So several... uh, several um, civilian cargo ships were hit uh, by Russia. So uh, there was no really you know, strong reaction on that, except uh, for you know, the you know, diplomatic, uh, let's say, dissatisfaction, the, the concerns and grave concerns that uh, uh, the other con- countries I- expressed. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, the the idea of the you know, let's say symmetrical uh, uh, measures being applied to Russian ports or Russian vessels is not, uh, you know, find uh, an approval mm-hmm. in the uh, in among the the, the the friends of Ukraine. Because when Russia began to block blockade Ukrainian ports, it would be wise uh, for our partners, the European Union, NATO. In general, because they are capable of doing this to block all the Russian trade uh, from the Russian mainland uh, ports uh, like Novorossiysk and Kavkaz. Um, so, so it might be much more, let's say, uh, useful in much more efficient way how to convey the Kremlin not to blockade Ukrainian ports rather than uh, have negotiations and sign uh, any kind of agreements with Russia.
1: So, I'm also wondering. You know, when it comes to these negotiations and these agreements that we've been signing with Russia, is the fact that we've come to an agreement that Ukraine is now exporting grain from its ports? Does this signify any kind of potential turning point in terms of the Ukrainian position or Ukrainian negotiating power in the war? Because I'm, I'm thinking Russia held this blockade over us for all of these months and. They seem to have no issue kind of losing friends and losing allies on the international sphere. They don't care much about making friends. And now we see them almost conceding certain relatively impactful concessions in turn for the restrictions or lessening the restrictions of sanctions. And we see these concessions a little bit. Does this mark perhaps a turning point in the way that the sanctions might be putting pressure on them and it's working? Or... Ukraine is at a better stage in bargaining than they were at the beginning of the war, especially now that we're seeing the counter offensives in Kherson that are going relatively well. You know, Crimea is on fire as of today. We're seeing um, a really, a really big turning point. So I'm wondering if this grain deal and Russia's concession marks that in a way.
2: Well, I'm uh, extremely skeptical, and mm-hmm. I don't think it is concession in general. Because as I okay. said, uh, they, they got that they, they wanted. They they, they just uh, received the guarantee on their export, which is crucial for them. Uh, certainly, sanctions are working. Uh, despite uh, Putin and, and, and his minions are talking uh, and, and saying that uh, is uh, making Russia even more uh, strong, uh, and they, they need to invest more in technology and other things. We've seen that uh, Russia is. Uh, uh, backward state, uh, and then it's not uh, capable of uh, catching up with the west, uh, so uh, sanctions are hitting uh, Russia badly. Uh, so uh, I don't think that uh, there is a room for diplomacy at the moment uh, for several reasons
1: i I really agree with this idea that
2: it's never enough, and so a concession is is not going to stop them until
1: we have them fully pushed out. Um, but that's all of my questions, you know, not to take up too much more of your time. So um, thank you so much for, oh, for speaking for with me. us.
0: Yeah, this was this was awesome. And our second interview is going to be with Mitro Berinov who is the deputy CEO of SE Ukrainian Seaports Authority. So I guess where are you right now? Are you in mm-hmm. Kiev?
3: No, I'm in Odessa now.
0: Okay, so you're on the ground, right? You're seeing how yeah. everything's happening. So can you tell me a little bit about what's going on there? What's the situation like? What are we seeing?
3: So we start to resume the export from Ukrainian ports. I mean, Black Sea ports. Big Odessa, Odessa, Pivden, and Chernomorsk. Nine day, almost 10 days ago. And uh, during this time, we, uh, uh, there are 12 vessels which already uh, sailed from uh, Ukrainian ports. Uh, and two vessels come, one already inside, in, in the port, and one awaiting because the weather now is not so good, uh, heavy wave, and the pilot can't uh, come on board, uh, and these vessels awaiting uh, better weather to come to port of Chernomorsk.
0: Mm-hmm. And where are these vessels coming from, the two that you said, that are arriving?
3: Uh, uh, I don't know from which exactly port they, uh, from which port they come, but uh, uh, I think it's a Turkey vessel.
0: So in terms of uh, the experts and how it's going, can you also tell me about, so how much are we expected to export this year uh, and compared to what it was supposed to be before, kind of what are we looking in terms of the scale of what we're going to be able to do with this grain deal?
3: Uh, on these 12 vessels, which already gone from the ports, uh, it's almost 400,000 ton of agriculture products were exported. Um, before the war, Ukrainian ports uh, exported monthly 5 million tons of agriculture mm-hmm. products. Altogether, I mean all kinds of goods, we uh, transship 160 uh, million ton of cargo per year. Uh, so then the, uh, this full-scale uh, invasion from Russia started from 24th of February. Uh, uh, These ports were blocked, I mean Black Sea ports. Uh, some of ports uh, were temporarily occupied, it, like Mariupol, Berdyansk, uh, Kherson, and Skadovsk, and uh, continued to walk just three small ports on the Danube River, with Donetsk, Ismail, and Dreni. And uh, like example on March uh, the transshipment of agriculture products was zero, and now we made uh, almost one and a half million tonnes per month through this three ports. so uh, and uh, our goal on these three uh black Sea ports it's a three three million ton per month uh, we want to do. And it give us uh, three million here, one and a half uh, on a Danube and uh, some cargo uh, across uh, land border uh, by railway, by trucks. So it give us uh, five million altogether, like uh, before the war. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it give uh, more or less uh, the normal uh, amount of cargo. And if, we had before the war 20 million ton of previous crop not exported, and now new crop already started, and even in uh, Odessa region completed, and we are awaiting the second wave, like corn, sunflower. Mm-hmm. It's begin from the end of August till October, November. So it gives us more 25 million ton oh. export only. It's for in accordance with the uh, Minister of Economic Calculation. So we will have 45, even maybe 50 million ton of export possibility. Uh, and if we will make uh 5 million monthly, so more or less it's 10 months, uh, to work to export all, uh, uh volume needed.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you also tell me what are the problems and obstacles that you're facing? What has, has there been some things that, um, well. That you're concerned about uh, with the situation and the exports.
3: Uh, look, we uh, we keep, keep kept all ports in good shape, in good condition from the beginning of war. Of course, the, the, that port which we control, not to, that we have no access uh, to them. So we uh, every day our employee, our workers uh, came to the port, maintain, control all everything infrastructure, equatory, territory. That's why we resumed uh, cargo operation very fast. So we are ready. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the political and military decision were taken in Istanbul, when they signed this initiative, uh, so we start to work, let's say, immediately. Uh, yeah, uh, We provide pilot service, we provide tug service, uh, we check uh, the depths near the berths to uh, to make uh, loading and, uh, I hope, discharging uh, fast safety and uh, give to the business comfort uh, condition. Uh, yeah, for sure, we hope that uh, maybe the kind of the good which are allowed to export or import will expand uh, and maybe... Uh, steel products will uh, join this list or some other goods so we hope to work uh, in full like like before
0: and what about mines i've been hearing that there's been a good amount of concerns still with the you know the presence of mines and kind of the risk that is faced opposing to um the exportation of our goods
3: uh yeah we have all party which involved in this process have their own uh, responsibility. So we, like the Ukrainian port authority, we make everything inside the port and near the port on the uh, anchorage places. Uh, our military, Ukrainian um, armed forces, make everything to secure to guarantee the safety of our territory water. Then we pass this responsibility to our international partners to the United Nations and uh, Turkey Republic and they guarantee the safe passage of the vessel from this uh, point uh, from Ukraine and to the Turkey uh, territory water for the inspection now of course uh, the mine uh, I mean the mine here in Ukrainian ports uh, Ukrainian military demined it and made this enter safe uh then uh, responsibility passed to as I said to United Nations and Turkey to our partners uh yeah of course uh the risk, uh, risk uh, some mines, especially when uh the bad weather uh as I understand, I am not military, but I, as I understand, these mine anchored, and if the strong wind or heavy wave uh, it's uh, take it off from their places, I mean the mines, and uh, sometimes um, people find it near the Bulgarian coast or or Romanian coast and here in Odessa coast. But, uh, you know, uh, 21st century, uh, so we have, uh, the world has the technology how to find this mine and to uh, demine it, uh, destroy it.
0: Thank you very much. I just have one last question. Um, I just wanted to ask as well, uh, are you optimistic about the situation? Do you think that we'll be able to uh, get our exports, you know, to the right capacity on track soon? Uh, Just also just from your general feeling of what's been happening.
3: Yeah, thank you for this question. Yes, I am optimist. uh, And I, uh, you know, I I see uh, the uh, efforts which put uh, our international partners, like United Nations. I met uh, numbers of times with people from World Food Programme. It's a programme of United Nations, which supports the pure country with the food, and they are so concentrated on this issue. And I was surprised that half of this programme depend on Ukraine. Before, I didn't know that 50% of uh, all this programme, everything, wheat, barley, corn, uh, sunflower oil, uh, produced, produced in uh, Ukraine. Um, that's why they put a lot of efforts to make it real. And I hope that, uh, of course, we do not trust Russia. That's why we do not sign nothing with them. Uh, our international partners sign with them, the MIRU initiative. Uh, this is the main risk. Uh, but I'm optimist and uh, I think that uh, the world needs our products our farmers uh, need the money for their products, so I think we can we can do it, we can make it real.
0: That's true. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time.
3: Thank you, Dada. Thank you.
0: I want to encourage all of our listeners to support The Keep Independent and subscribe
1: to our Patreon. If you want to support independent journalism in Ukraine, which right now in the middle of war is more important than ever you can become our patron at
0: patreon.com slash independent or you can just google keep independent patreon and the first few links should lead you right to it and thank you guys for listening we'll be back next week with another episode